Imagine if each morning when you wake up, you're smiling and looking forward to your day, knowing you are happy even while you're dealing with grief and loss. The Grief and Happiness Podcast inspires, comforts, and supports you with each new episode. I'm Emily Zerothret, welcoming you to explore with me your life of endless possibilities. Aloha. I'm so happy you're all here to join us today. We're going to talk about a really deep subject that I actually don't think gets talked about enough. There's so much misunderstanding and uh, things that, that we could do to actually make a difference in people's lives by talking about this subject. And the, the subject is going to be suicide. And it's covered beautifully in Cindy Tank Murphy's book, The Strength to Live. It's it's a I just highly recommend this book. And if you are looking for something at all that has to deal with these subjects, it's it's well worth reading. So I strongly encourage you to do that. Uh, so welcome, Sydney. Uh, Sydney. That's my granddaughter's name. Sorry, Cindy. <laughs> no problem. Hi. It's so nice to be with you, Emily. Thank you for having me. <laughs> oh, I'm delighted to have you. We we share a publisher. We both uh, publish under Ignite Publishing, and which is a wonderful publishing company, and I'm grateful for that. And that's that's how I came across Cindy. So happy to have you here today. Can you kind of tell us a little bit about you and your book and yeah. why why it started? <laughs> Yeah. So, um, well, I'm, I'm a wife and a mother. I have two young adult children, <laughs> two young adult daughters, I should say. And um, I've been married to my husband for it'll be 27 years this year. But we've known each other a long time before even that. It's amazing. Um, we grew up in the same kind of small rural hometown in Iowa, kind of started as friends. And, and now here we are, best friends and, and mates for life. And, you know, I, I guess the easiest way to explain how I got to this point was that um, for throughout my life, I had been, had, I had lived through experiences of people that I knew, family members that have struggled with a mental illness. And then I lost my father to suicide in 2014. And, you know, it started as early as the fourth grade when, or excuse me, it was like the third grade or third or fourth grade. I can't remember exactly now. I'm, I'm, but my, my very first experience with someone that lost their life to suicide was my school elementary principal. And, and I just remember being so shocked at that young age and not understanding why anyone would, would want to end their own life. And, and as my life progressed, I, continually, you know, had had friends that lost a, a boyfriend or a, a schoolmate. And I couldn't understand and wrap my head around the fact that so many people in this small rural community were deciding to take their own lives. And I, and I, as that kind of progressed, and again, living in a household where my father did battle with mental illness on and off throughout my, my childhood and, and adult life, there just came a point where I realized there's 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 something that's nudging me here. Um, I'm supposed to be curious about this. I'm supposed to understand, and I'm supposed to be a be this beacon of hope, I guess. 
And, um, you know, the gut punch really happened when my father did um, end his life in 2014. And going through that loss was one that I, it's hard to explain. It's hard to explain to someone who has not been through that type of loss. You know, I think grief is, is difficult no matter what. But um, when you grieve a loss by suicide, there's this added layer of shame and guilt and anger and these other emotions that we don't necessarily carry with us when we lose someone for other reasons, whether it's, you know, uh, living a long life or battling through a, uh, a disease. There's just a different um, component to that. And so when I um, started to do my own healing, which is you know, what I knew I needed to do. I needed to get past the the grief because it was starting to affect me in my work life and my family life. I mean, everything changed in that moment. And so I knew I needed to do something to improve myself and transform myself. And so I, I kind of went on what I would call my leap of faith journey and in educating myself and in understanding it and through that transformation and through several different um, experiences in those, it's been eight years now since I lost my father, I learned just how to bring myself to a new new state of, of joy and happiness and to accept and just understand uh, his life and his death in a different way and a different perspective. And I felt that I needed to share that. I needed to share that with with others. And, and along my journey, as I was beginning to open up a little bit and share it, and the more vulnerable I would be with sharing it, I found, boy, people really decided they wanted to open up to me as well. I mean, you could, you could see by my sharing um, my experience, people were drawn to me to say, you know what, I lost... Um, a friend in high school, or I lost a brother, people that I had known a, a long time and never knew that about them. And so I just knew that there was something to this. And and that's really why the book, the book idea emerged. And uh, honestly, the other part of it was, I had always been having in the back of my mind, this idea that I needed to write a book as well. And it's been with me for 20 years but I never knew exactly what the topic was going to be. And if someone had told me 20 years ago that I would have written this book about suicide and mental illness and the struggles, not only my father and other family members, but my, my own daughter has dealt with, I would have said, okay, no way. Absolutely not. No, I'm not signing up for that. Forget it. But, you know, when you're called to do something, um, which I feel I've been called to do this, you step forward with faith and, um, you know, it just was something I couldn't, couldn't not do, I guess. I understand that. I really do. And I was thinking too, when I was reading your book, something that I hadn't really thought about before that um, I had a relative who died by suicide that I didn't even know she existed, mm. um, which was kind of interesting how people have handled things in the past. I knew that my mother's mother had been married before she was married to my grandfather. And back in those days, that didn't happen. You didn't get married twice, you know, it, it just didn't. 
But right. it, it turned out that the reason that happened was because she was married to, uh, I found out, her true love. And they had a, a, a boy and a girl. And they lived in, in a country in a, in a very small town. And he worked in a, a town that was a little bit bigger that was... In today's world, a half an hour drive away, in those days, he had to go down there and spend the week. On, he'd go down on the train and come back on the train. And um, mm-hmm. One day he was at work and he had, was ex- having excruciating belly pain. And they put him on the train to another town where there was a hospital because there weren't very many hospitals around. And he died of appendicitis before he got there. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's how my grandmother ended up having uh, two families. Um, and that wasn't even explained to me until when I was getting married the, the first time. And my mom could remember these these little porcelain dolls that had been on top of her wedding cake. And she said, wouldn't it be cool if you and I, sure if we could find them? So we had all of my grandmother's stuff in, in our garage that we moved over there when she died and hadn't touched. So we were going through all these boxes. And in the boxes, I found these beautiful love letters that were wrapped up with ribbon and uh, they were just gorgeous, and I started reading them about them. And I I didn't realize then uh, that Grandma had had two children with that, that first marriage. I knew about the son, but I didn't know about the daughter. And then I started kind of putting two and two together, and I thought, you know, I've got a cousin that doesn't have a mother that's in our family, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that doesn't make it. So I finally, I was like in my 30s, I think, when I started asking questions and mom blew me off for quite a while. And finally, she said that 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 cousin of mine, her her sister, half sister, had in in those days, way, way long ago, you didn't have children out of wedlock. And she had two two boys, and one of them had, I think it was muscular dystrophy, had a really mm-hmm. tough life and died, and, and the, the the baby's father just never really had any intention of marrying her and was even more disappointed in her when the child died, and so he kind of disappeared, and so she did too. She, she died by suicide, and I don't know how she did it. I never heard I'm, I'm sure I never will. I'm sure nobody in my family probably even knows. But it took that long because it was just this deep, dark secret because you don't talk about things like that that happen in your family. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I mean, I think that's the the most disturbing and, you know, difficult part about it. I know the first time someone asked me, um, you know, how did my, how did my father die? I froze up. I didn't know what to say. And I said, his heart gave out. That's what came out of my mouth. Yeah. And it was, it was the truth. His heart gave out. And, um, but I, after that moment of being caught in that, I kept thinking, okay, I've got to like prepare myself for that question again. But, um, you know, to your point, these, these are like, I feel so strongly that we need to be talking about uh, mental illness, because the way I look at suicide is no different than someone who has undiagnosed or untreated heart disease. Mm-hmm. They that can lead to a heart attack. And so when we when we understand that mental illness and and is a, is a true disease, and it is something that 
you know, when people are le- living with suicidal ideation or having, which is basically having thoughts of suicide, um, that it gets from a place of being just kind of a passive to a more active state. If they do not treat that, it's a, it's an, a side effect. It is the outcome of their disease. And when you can think of it that way and talk about it that way, I believe it erases some of that stigma that people have with it. You know, we still have people that will say things like it's a selfish act or they were a coward. And it just, you know, it makes me, it hurts me, number one, but it also makes me a little mad, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I will say, because there's such an ignorance about the disease about mental illness in, in general. And there's no doubt in my mind that anyone that is in the position of having suicidal thoughts is in an, in, it has having a mental crisis, a mental instability, crisis, illness, whatever you want to call it. And so, and when you talk to people that have lived with these thoughts or are dealing with them on a daily basis, and you understand, and when you sit with them and you understand what they're going through and the shame that they have and why they don't want to tell someone, it's these comments that people make, these, you know, again, ignorant comments that they were just a coward or they, um, you know, they, they, they were selfish. It was a selfish act. I mean, you wouldn't say that to someone that was dealing with cancer and lost their battle with cancer. And so I... I just feel strongly that we need to educate people. We need to talk about it. We need to bring it out of the darkness into the light and understand it. And when people feel comfortable enough that they can get the help they need, that's, that's the only, that's the only way we're going to help save lives. So um, yeah, thank you for sharing that story because you're right. So many people don't even know um, about their family history And there's another part of that that's, you know, I guess, uh, in my opinion, a disservice to your family is if you have a history of mental illness, you're more likely to have other family members that also experience it because it is uh, a genetic and hereditary disease as well. You know, people with, for instance, bipolar disease, that is a, a genetically transferred disorder and, uh, you know, can be up to 45 or 50% more likely to have that diagnosis um, with someone else in your family. So I think it's important, again, that, you know, we have these honest conversations and to erase the shame that's there. And I understand, I understand where that comes from. It comes from a place of fear. But when you can turn that into a place of love and empathy and understanding and compassion, um, we can really shift that and and have these honest conversations. And it, it, it's so important. I really think a lot of people look at mental illness and suicide with um, from the framework of fear and judgment. Mm-hmm. Afraid it's gonna that they'll get it, or it's gonna affect somebody they love, or they're judging somebody else because they'd never do that. So these other people are obviously weak, and yes. I, I hear that sort of thing, and it just breaks my heart, you know. 
That's yeah. that's just not what the the real world is. And I think if if you find yourself starting to say one of those awful comments about uh, they're selfish or that sort of thing, stop yourself and think about what you're saying and and why did yeah. you say that? Yeah, and and you know I I um. I get a little passionate about, of course, but I do, you know, I understand it. I've, I'm sure there's been points in my life that I've, I've thought it as well until I truly understood what my father was going through. And I talk a lot about in the book, the fact that I knew he was struggling. I, we, our whole family knew that he was really, he would have moments of, um, depression that would last, you know, months or years on end. And, and, um, you know, he was never diagnosed, but I believe he did have bipolar disorder and looking at a family, the family history and everything else, uh, there were signs along the way, but, you know, even being in the moment and understanding the, the need to get him help and his reluctance to want to get that help it was very, very difficult. It was very, very difficult. And, you know, I look back and I could easily, you know, be blame myself for have guilt over that. Um, you know, the fact that I knew that he uh, was really, really struggling. And, you know, he told us he would never do that. He had, we lost a cousin. He had a nephew that we lost to suicide. And, and um, you know, he would say over and over again, he would never do that. But little did I know, and in his own mind, he was battling that constantly. So, you know, I think that's the biggest thing is that, you know, people always say, I had no idea. I had no idea they were struggling. And it's and, until we can all understand and um, to your point, think about how we're, our words are affecting, our words are really, really powerful. And we don't realize it sometimes, but you know, just by someone like my father hearing that over and over again, that that's a cowardly thing or that was selfish, it, it stopped him from getting the help that he probably needed. Yeah, I'm I'm sure that I can see that happening. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to talk too about your book. There are some things that I really loved about your book. One, um, two in particular. One, I love the examples that you had of other people's situations of of dealing with mm -hmm. suicide in in some way. And the other thing I I love are your healing moments that mm -hmm. you you are giving the reader something that they can actively do that can make a difference in their lives or the lives of their families, and and change this perspective of society on suicide really mm -hmm. and have, yeah. have hope you know that that uh, and and lack of judgment stopping the judgment yes yes I knew when I began to speak out and just talk a little bit more and share more about my story and how people responded I knew there was a component of my book that I needed to share additional stories and I, I felt strongly about that um, from the minute I kind of conceptualized the book and so in, in sharing those stories, I wanted to make it not about, you know, the death, even though that is what we were talking about, but I wanted to make it about their life and their journey and their, the beautiful life they lived. I, I feel like 
you know, one of the things I talk about in the book is how important obituaries are and our language and obituaries and things like that. So I, I started each one of them out with the obituary because I felt like it was like a, a nice summation and it was the, the gift of the family. And it's that token that, um, you know, everyone kind of goes through that process or a lot of people do not always with suicide death though. There's not always the same, the same way that people kind of handle those celebrations of life. And unfortunately, but I wanted to start it out that way. And then I wanted to talk about reframing the life of those people as well. And, and each one of those people I interviewed, you know, I interviewed, you know, a mother who lost a young daughter, a wife who lost a husband, a brother who lost his, his brother, a sibling, and a young girl who lost her mother. And, and then of course my own story. And I, I wanted to have those different connection points because I felt strongly that by telling those stories, there would be some thread of connection that the reader could pull from that and say, I, I connect with that. I understand that that's what I went through. And, and by that, you know, that commonality that we have, it just allows us for that, that split moment to kind of take our mind off of our own grief and, and really step into the shoes of someone else. And, and it's that empathy that I talk about in the book as well, that it's so important. Um, and so I've, I felt strongly about that, number one. And then you, you mentioned the healing moments, which I personally would go through a lot of those things myself. Um, and one of the, the main things I talk about a lot about uh, the healing moments is writing, writing out your obituary of your loved one in a different way and reframing it in a different way and sharing your story in a different way. And, and I know how much you um, love to talk about writing and things like that too, but it's so therapeutic. And it was, you know, it was therapeutic for me, of course, to write the book as well, but I feel um, there's just so much scientific evidence of how uh, important writing and journaling and just, um, you know, getting your thoughts and emotions on paper can really help in the healing process. So it, it's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing how, how well writing works for that. I, I facilitate a group uh, every week on Zoom called the Grief and Happiness Alliance. And there's no mm -hmm. charge for it. The, they have a nonprofit that, that funds it to make sure that it happens as a gift to people. And mm -hmm. we write every week and people get to write and then talk about what they wrote with other people who are also dealing with issues that, that have to do mm -hmm. with grief. And it's so powerful. You you see the things that get people, people can come in at the beginning and be uptight and in the middle in tears. And at the end, they're smiling and, and happy with everybody and, you know, making friends with the people that are in the group because of the commonality that they share. And I just believe that writing is an incredibly powerful way to help deal with grief and any kind of loss, actually. Yeah. Or yeah. Life in general, yeah. too. <laughs> It really, it really is. It really is. And, you know, I've had, um, I've had uh, several therapists who have, you know, read my book or have sat down with it and said, you know, these are techniques that, that I can use with clients and that, you know, they're, they're true, they're tried and true techniques that I think, and, and they're also simplistic in a lot of ways. They're not meant to be you know, spend an hour doing, they're just, there's, there's simple, but grounding types of techniques that help 
just bring you to that state of calmness. And uh, what I like to just say is that slowly over that time of that, that you're transforming yourself. And the more that you write, the more that you uncover your emotions and your feelings about things, the more that you're you're learning about your own uh, personal values and your own personal morals and all, all of that, it, it's transforming you. It really is. It's it's taking you from a place of where you could be. Become, I like to say there's two places you can go when you're de dealing with this type of grief is you can become bitter or you can become better. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think that that's, you know, truly what I want to emphasize is that doing things that are self-care, like you said, I call them healing moments. Those are all things that just take us to a step closer. And, and over time, they transform us into that better state. Yeah, it, it makes a huge difference. I, I grew up, I, I think I mentioned in a small town, like you grew up in a small town. And I know yeah. that with um, death and funerals and things that went on, we just didn't talk about it. You know, there'd be a big celebration around the funeral and then the person was gone and that was it. You talked about other things. And that always really kind of bothered me. And I, I think that the more that you can can keep a person in your life by writing to them, writing about them, talking about them, mentioning them. I know one of the best things that someone can do when you you want to console someone instead of saying, oh, he's in a better place, uh, is to say, oh, I remember when Ron did this, or I remember when Shock did that, and it, it that feels good. That sort of thing yes. really feels good. When you actually talk about it, when you, you, you're open about it, you're not you're not afraid. I think people are showing their fear of death themselves by not talking. Yeah. yeah and, right. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I, I, I think that what we find a lot of times is that it, it's not a person trying to be um, hurtful or anything, you know, to your point, I, I, I know exactly what you mean when someone says, you know, oh, they're in a better place or, um, you'll be all right, or you'll get over it, you'll move, you'll move on. Yeah. Like, oh. yeah, that you'll get over it. I like, you get over it. No, I'm, I'm forever changed. But, but, you know, I think there's, when we sit down with that, and we realize it's coming from their own fear, like you said, um, it's not coming from a place of trying to be harmful or but but people just they're we're lacking we're lacking in how to respond to that because we have kept it all closed off instead mm -hmm. of you know having conversations about it. I mean, uh, there's one thing that's absolute in this world is we're all going to die someday, <laughs> and yet that is the one thing we never want to talk about. And uh, you know, I I think that it just it it's sad because I think as as people that you know are grieving know the funeral takes place um, a lot of you know condolences and things like that and then a week later everyone else is going on with their life or it feels like everyone else is going on with their life and you're you're still sitting there going I I'm I'm not well this isn't you know I'm not I'm not uh, I'm not over it <laughs> I'm not over it like you yeah. said I should be and and I and I do think those comments what happens is like we internalize that and we think well gee should I be maybe I shouldn't be feeling this way. And we start to like disenfranchise our grief. Like I shouldn't, I shouldn't even be thinking that I'm still not well, what's wrong with me if they think I should be moving on. I mean, it just, 
it, it's a perpetual kind of cycle that we create when we don't openly just say, you know, I I remember the good times with, you know, with 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 Ron and with Leroy and with, you know, the people that we've lost. And that's what a person that's grieving wants to hear. They don't want you to not talk about their loved one. I think that that's yeah. the hardest thing for people to understand is like, especially I think someone that's lost a child, people tend to think, well, they don't want me to talk about their child because it'll make them, it'll make them sad. It's like, no, they, they want to talk about that child. They want to continue to honor that child and that child still lives on within them. And, you know, I, I believe that child is still living um, side by side with them, just in another, another universe, another plane, another, you know, um, I feel like we're always connected with them. And so to try to disconnect or try to hide uh, the fact or not want to discuss it, we actually hurt the person more, I think, in that way. I think so, too. And and I think another thing that happens is that people don't mention things that are especially difficult, like the death of a child, because they're afraid that they're going to cry and they don't want to cry in front of the person who's dealing with loss because they figure that they have more right to cry than and it just gets into this vicious cycle that nothing gets said because of the fear of what will happen if anybody talks about it. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, you know, and when I had to interview Christine in my book, um, she lost her 12 year old daughter, Morgan. And, um, you know, in the book, there's a real spiritual connection there of how I came to find out about Christine. And there's only one way to describe it as, as being divinely guided, I guess, so to speak. And, um, but when I knew that I needed to speak with Christine, I had all those nerves, all those fears. And I was, I was like, okay, how am I going to hold back? How am I going to be strong? And what I found was so beautiful was that when she picked up the phone and we started to talk the very first time, she wasn't some fragile woman that was going to break down at any moment. Um, she made me feel comfortable. And that was, I don't know, that was just this human connection. I think, you know, her her ability to to say, yes, I want to talk about my daughter. I want to explain to you what happened and I want to tell you her story. And I think that's what gave her the strength to have the conversation with me was that I was willing to ask some of those questions. So it, it, what it comes down to really is just human connection and, and just living with compassion and knowing that we're not always going to say the right things. <laughs> You know, we're human, we're going to mess up, we're going to trip up, we're going to say something that we're like, oh, I should never have said that. But, but believing in the fact that I'm, I'm here to support, I'm here to love, and I'm, I'm genuinely want to know how they're doing. I think that's the best way to approach it. No, I, I agree 100%. Uh, oh, there's so much I could talk to you about this. <laughs> Things kept coming up and I'd, I'd be writing little notes and stuff. One little thing that it just came up is you talked about looking for signs of mm. uh, your loved one. And it, I just, I thought, well, who would I like to hear from? And I thought, well, Jacques, because Jacques died long before Ron. And so I, just because Ron's more recent, it seems like I 
think more of that direction, but I was married to Jacques for 22 years and dearly loved him and he was a significant part of my life. And I thought it'd be kind of cool to get some sort of something. And yeah. then I just left it at that. And then within maybe 10 minutes, I thought, well, you just did twice. <laughs> and because I had um, at one point signed up for Ancestor, you know, did the swap mm-hmm. and everything. Yeah. And I didn't get a whole lot out of it. So I, I didn't continue it. But every once in a while, they'll send me something saying, we found something. And <laughs> I usually just, you know, delete them. But this day before yesterday, I guess it was, I clicked on it. And there was a picture of Jacques as a young man, absolutely gorgeous, uh, beautiful picture that I'd never seen before. And really? I was so Ancestry, tickled at the ancestry.com found. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, oh and you know, I, I no connection for, that I could have gotten that any other way. I sent it to all his cousins because his cousins are all still around and they were so thrilled to see it. And my my daughter, he was her stepfather for a whole lot of years didn't know that it was shock because it was so far you know before she met him that she she didn't see the shock where it was real obvious to me so that happened and then yesterday he was a lot older than I was so all of his cousins and everybody were a lot older but one of them emailed me and said that he and his wife are going to be here in March and they'd sure love to see me they're coming to Maui and uh, those two things happened and I they had come over once before years ago but it's it's been quite a while and I'd love to see them but to have those two connections with Jacques right then and I thought well I guess I guess I had already asked for it before they came <laughs> and just realized it after that they were there that I got those signs so ask for signs oh my gosh absolutely ask for signs I have gotten the most beautiful signs and of course as you know I wrote in the book <laughs> a couple chapters about signs and then airplanes and the, the symbols that I get from my father but you know, um, just this last weekend, my I had uh, my cousin was reading the book, and she had just finished the book, and she sent me a, a clip that popped up on her like Facebook feed, and it was so my dad's name is Leroy Tank, and it was a clip, and he was big into the Humane Society and animals and all that, and it was a clip from a Humane Society, and it was do- a dog who had just gotten adopted, whose name was Tank. And they are now naming him Leroy. <laughs> oh, wow. And she said, there's signs everywhere. There's always signs. And and, wow. and it's so true. We just need to be open to them. And and like you said, ask for them. And and I, my loved ones have always delivered. Yeah. 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 And enjoy them. Pay attention to them when they come. And thank them for them. Yes. Too. They want you to Absolutely. acknowledge that you them and hear them yes thank them for it yeah well gee as i said i could talk to you all day long um and you know people would think well it's suicide how can you talk that well there's so many things so many nuances so many things that we need to talk about that society's not talking about and the more we talk about it the easier it'll be for everybody to deal with things and maybe the fewer suicides the rates are way high way way high so um think about it pay attention if somebody says something pay attention to what they say to you okay well thank you so much for being here i'm i'm so glad that you joined us here today and on our show notes after the podcast there you'll be able to see how to get the strength to live 
by Cindy, not Sydney, Cindy Tank Murphy. <laughs> and it's, it's, a, it's a really, really good book. And I, I really hope that you'll get it. And Thank I you. will, uh, no, you're welcome. I'll see you all next week. Do you want more comfort, support, and happiness? Join the Grief and Happiness Alliance. Visit my website at lovingandlivingyourwaythroughgrief.com and read my book, Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, rate it, review it, and binge on all our episodes on grief and happiness. I can't wait to welcome you back to another episode 